0: This is a strange journey, where we're headed is not yet clear. For the community to carry on, change is the new normal and being adaptive is the only strategy that works. Those words, true today, could have been written about the communities described in the Acts of the Apostles, which tells the story of a people of faith struggling to keep up with the Holy Spirit in rapidly changing and unsettled times. This fall, we pastors of Second Presbyterian Church are offering a sermon series on Acts called. Catching up with the Spirit. We invite you to join us during this season of change as we seek guidance from the text to follow God's lead, trusting God continues to work in, through, and alongside God's people to bring healing and wholeness to everyone. Join us as we seek to catch up with the Spirit. Let us pray. Holy God. Help us to hear a word so that we can hear your word to us today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. We are in the middle of a sermon series on the book of Acts, and so far we have been sequential. Each Sunday we've looked at a passage that comes after the previous Sunday's passage so as to keep up with the Spirit and keep a narrative line going. But today on All Saints Sunday, when we look back to remember loved ones we lost this past year, I am looking back in the book of Acts. I'm going back to a sermon when Peter looks back to the past to speak to a new future. I'll not read all of Peter's sermon. I'm skipping over the first part where Peter began speaking to a very confused crowd The crowd is largely made up of Jewish pilgrims who have come from other nations to celebrate in Jerusalem the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. Peter has some explaining to do, because the disciples had created a stir that has drawn attention to themselves and gathered this crowd. They have been speaking in tongues. Yesterday, they were timid. Today, it's as if a wind has blown them out into the streets and a fire has been lit in their bellies because with conviction and overwhelming enthusiasm, they are talking to everyone who will listen. Now today, many of us think of speaking in tongues as ecstatic utterances that make no sense. I've been to a Pentecostal worship service with several of them, and their speaking in tongues always sounded to me like nonsensical babbling, more emotional vocalizing than actual communication. I say that not to criticize it. That can be a powerful mode of prayer. But if you listen to the passage I'm about to read carefully, that's not what happens here. Or listen to the passage that comes before the passage I am about to give to you. People who speak other languages than Hebrew can understand what the apostles are telling them. They don't need translation. They need interpretation, as in, what in the world are they talking about? Because these disciples are going on and on about a dead man being alive and being present with them right then in the Spirit. Well, interpretation is what Peter offers. Listen to a portion of his sermon based on Psalm 15 and do as you're always told to do In listening to a sermon here at Second Presbyterian Church. Listen for the word of God. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with deeds of power, wonders, and signs that God did through him among you as you yourselves know This man handed over to you, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence." Fellow Israelites, I must say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on his throne. And foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool." Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus of whom you crucified. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to assure you that I am not drunk. I am glad to say that I've never actually had to make that assurance to begin a sermon. But that's the way that Peter begins his sermon. You didn't hear it because I picked up in the middle, but he opened his sermon by saying, it's not what you think. We aren't drunk. I mean, it's only nine o'clock in the morning. The disciples are not drunk. They're overjoyed. They're convinced of a hard-to-believe truth. They're absolutely convinced that Jesus, who was crucified and then raised, and by the way, that was yesterday's hard-to-believe truth, that Jesus, who was crucified and then raised, kept his promise and returned to them again only in spirit. That may not be the best way to say it. I mean, these days when we say, I'll be with you in spirit, we don't mean that we will literally be there. I mean, it's our way of saying something like, I'll be thinking of you, or you'll be in my prayers, or if I could be there, I would jump right in there with you. But that's not it. These disciples all at the same time have this conviction that Jesus is literally there with them, not physically, but truly present with them. They have this conviction that resurrected life A life that absorbed death and was not defeated by it is there with them. And that's why Peter has to explain that he is not drunk, because you might think that someone who says that is. He explains that death and its frequent companion, sin, try to seal the past, but God has opened up a future that those two, sin and death, cannot stop. And to explain this future, Peter looks back. He starts with Jesus. The people in the crowd, they already know a lot about Jesus. Jesus was famous. They know the stories of his sermons. They know his lessons. They know how he helped heal others. Peter doesn't introduce Jesus, but interprets him as a man with integrity who was killed when he didn't deserve it. You have integrity when your words and actions are in keeping with your true self. Well, Jesus' preaching and teaching and healing were completely in keeping with his true self and in keeping with God's true self. That's the important point. When Jesus was alive, those who knew him, those who got to know him, got to better know God. And that Jesus has this divine integrity is what makes his execution especially horrible. Respectable and law-abiding people like the Jews who have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost used lawless people to disparage Jesus' reputation in order to eliminate him. The crowd, Pilate, Herod, they all knew Jesus was innocent but they carried out a character attack anyway to eliminate Jesus and preserve their own power. Only God's integrity held true, even though his son was crucified. God is love, and God stays true to God's self. God's kind of selfless love doesn't stop loving. Loving. God raised Jesus from the dead, not for revenge, but to show that his love breaks the power of sin and death. And the greatest miracle is not that Jesus was raised. It was that he was raised to save those who do not deserve to be saved. The greatest miracle was not that Jesus was raised, but that he was raised to save those who did not deserve to be saved. And to press that point on, Peter goes even further back in the past. He goes back to King David. Now, it's hard to understand what Peter is saying in this part of his sermon when you read the passage cold, but what Peter says about David, I think it is beautiful. He says that David saw Jesus. Here's what he meant by that. Peter believes that when David says in Psalm 15, I have seen the Lord when he did not abandon me to hell, that he has this vision of Jesus. I wouldn't say that he knows Jesus' name or literally sees Jesus' face. Jesus has yet to be born, but David knows that he deserves condemnation for some very real wrongs that he committed. I won't go into what he did now, but it involves an affair, a murder, and a cover-up when David, knowing that he deserves eternal punishment, instead receives God's forgiveness at that moment, that's when he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus because God is working reconciliation in David's heart. Jesus is God working reconciliation. Jesus is God's love reclaiming sinners back to God. And another king will come and it will be through him that All will be made right. Jesus, Peter is saying, is that reconciling spirit moving right now through these disciples. That's what's got them excited. These disciples, who themselves abandoned Jesus at the cross, saw Jesus resurrected. They received his forgiveness. They were promised that Jesus would return, and now they are absolutely ecstatic because they've experienced that promise being kept. Jesus is with them again, and they are compelled to share him with others. Peter ends his sermon by calling on those who are listening to repent and be baptized. You didn't hear that part because I didn't read it either. But he wants them, at the end of his sermon, to be honest and then be baptized. Stop living in fear of death, but live as those who know of life after death. And that means stop participating in the world's corruptions, but live as those who trust the power of God's love to defeat those corruptions. Live for what is graceful and just, because in the end, the powers of this world have no final power over grace and justice. Live as if your eternal future is with God, not with what you are told that power and money will get you. If I could summarize Peter's sermon, it would be to say that he is remembering forward. He remembers David, but he sees a future because of what David saw. David had opened to himself. He had opened to him a future despite these terrible things had done. And then Peter remembers Jesus who died, but whose sermons, teachings, and works of kindness mean all the more for the future, because the one who said them and did them is raised and living among them. It's important how we remember. Some remember as if they are PR reps. They hide or justify wrongs, and they make up or over-magnify virtues. They do what King Herod and Governor Pilate did and have statues built in their image and their supposed accomplishments carved in stone, literally or metaphorically. Their two aims are both doomed to defeat. Their two aims are to set in stone whatever suits them right now and to create this mythology that hopefully will last forever in memory. But as we all know, memory fades, statues come down, history is rewritten, and other forever narratives will replace today's forever narratives. But Peter remembers in a different way. He remembers flaws, and the future he describes is not defined by human promises or human accomplishments, it's defined by God's grace. He can be honest in remembering David's flaws. He can be honest in remembering his own because God has eyes that see the truth about us anyway. And God has love that loves us anyway. There are things to fear in this world. But Peter actually suggests that we really don't have to fear death. For at death, all the lies and silliness and power games end Our wannabe truths just evaporate. There only remains God. There only remains God's love. And that truly is gospel news. That truly is good news because our eternal future has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. So let's be honest and true about our faults and failings and trust God to be honest and true in keeping God's promise to love us forever. Amen. Second Presbyterian Finding Direction by Following Jesus